Valuable content makes for better businesses, I think. It's not just marketing, it goes deeper than that. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining us for episode 97, would you believe, of Good Copy, Bad Copy, the B2B copywriting podcast. It's great to have you here. This month, we're talking about how to make sure your B2B content delivers value. That's for your audience and for your business. Our research tells us that B2B marketers think reflecting customers' priorities and providing value for the reader are the two most common elements in their best content. So, who better to ask about how we can achieve that than the founders of the School of Valuable Content, Sonia Nissen and Sharon Tanton. And you can hear our interview with them in just a few moments. And we also have a brand new copywriting tip from copywriting consultant Steve. My name's David Maguire. I am Creative Director at Radix Communications, which is a B2B tech copywriting agency. And I am delighted to be joined by a very special guest co-host for this episode, You might know him as a tech copywriter, a LinkedIn expert, the author of Content DNA, or just that relentlessly helpful guy from the internet. It's only John Esperian. John, welcome. Hello, David. Thank (laughs) you very much for having me. I've been a long-time listener and... I'm delighted to be here. So cheers. Oh, thank you. Well, that's that's nice to hear. Absolutely delighted to have you uh, uh, with us to, as co-presenter. How are things? Uh, things are good. Thank you very much. Um, I have been managing the ups and downs of the last year as best I can. Um, I I published a book in the last year and had had all of my public appearances swiped away from me under my feet because everything got cancelled around March, April last year. Um, so, but I'm uh, managing to do everything online now and it's working out pretty well. So thanks. Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty good. And, and there's a lot that you are doing, right? I mean, you've got, you've got the writing, you've got the, all the LinkedIn training, the, the book, of course. And yeah. how, what's it like having so many strings to your bow? Is that, is that difficult or is that more of a, a bonus? Uh, yeah, it's tough to kind of keep all the plates in the air, I suppose, if that's a mixed metaphor, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to actually lean more of my business towards LinkedIn now because that's what people increasingly know me for doing and it's where I have most fun. So although actually copywriting is still paying the bills, um, I am leaning more of the business towards towards LinkedIn and the book is about personal branding, but is also applicable to LinkedIn. So everything is kind of moving in that direction. So I'm trying to be known for that one thing. Okay. And leaning your business towards the the fun is never a bad thing to do, in in my experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Can I ask you to perform your first official duty as our guest co-host and tell the listener how they can get in touch with us? Yes, you can. I'd be delighted to. So listener, if you have comments uh, questions, suggestions, hate mail, uh, winning lottery numbers. You can contact <laughs> the show by email. Podcast at radix-communications.com Or on Twitter. R-A-D-I-X-C-O-M. Radix.com That's smoothly done. Fingers crossed for those lottery numbers. Thank you. John, I couldn't help but notice that you quoted this month's interviewee, or one of them, in your new book, didn't you? 
I did, yes. Sonia, back when she was still Jefferson. Um, uh, I came across Sonia a while ago, have really liked her style with regards to valuable content. And and she said something once. I, I can't remember where she said it, whether it was on stage or in a book, but she said that the right content builds trust and businesses live and die on trust. And I, I love that. So I've put that as uh, one of the chapter openings towards the end of Content DNA. Yes. Hopefully then this will be a, a, an enjoyable interview to, uh, to listen to. Um, listener, valuable content felt like such a force for good in establishing good content marketing practice in the UK. Um, no doubt um, have heard me quote their, their mantra, help don't sell, talk don't yell, show don't tell. And I'm sure lots of us were, to be honest, a bit grief-stricken in 2019 when the founders Sonia Nissen and Sharon Tanton went their separate ways. So when I heard about their new venture, the School of Valuable Content, I couldn't wait to get them back on the podcast to talk about their methods. But first, I had to start by asking, how did you come to get the band back together? Was it like the Blues Brothers? I guess the the short story about how we got the band back together was um, after working on separate projects for about 18 months, we started going running again, running around the, the docks in Bristol, running and talking and comparing what we were working on and kind of realising that we were using a lot of the same methodology that we we devised together and worked on at Valuable Content. Um, and it really came out of, of running together, kind of what perhaps we should just teach this. And then this kind of school idea came and we talked and we ran and we talked and we ran. And then sort of at the end of one of these runs, we decided to build a completely new website, um, spoke to a web designer that day and it kind of happened. That's the short story. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, we used to run something called pub school, which was like a business school where we would teach um, small business owners how to do their content marketing. And we did it in our local pub. It was beautiful and lovely and people felt great coming and they had tea and cakes and but you were limiting our market to people who could come to Bristol for six weeks and an afternoon a week um and so doing something digital and teaching people online felt like a complete no-brainer and you're teaching this kind of a specific valuable content uh, approach and that's something that you took with you when you were having your time apart and focusing on your your your, your own projects and taking time to grow, um, uh, you, you took that into those other roles and and those other jobs, and 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 you found that that approach still worked for you. Totally, there. Sonia. Could you say a bit about what that approach is? I think at the simplest, it's it's an approach to marketing, which is you could coin with this mantra really so you know help don't sell talk don't yell show don't tell so it's a different approach to marketing it's very different from that sort of a hard sell approach um and it came out of a sales experience really david so um back in the day i was in sales and you can you can see you know people's eyes when you try a hard sell at, sell at them and it just puts people off and doesn't connect whereas if you give away uh, information ideas um, generously, that connects with people. So the whole of the valuable content approach really is based on that. Be as helpful as possible. You know, give your ideas away generously for free um, to to help people and to connect with people and invite them then to take the first step with you. You know, to move the conversations on in a way that's definitely from what we've seen leads to sales. How do you train someone to do that? 
the methodology we use is, is sort of helping people see, find their own content sweet spot, I suppose. That's the, the heart of it. So that's a combination of um, what your what your customers care about, all the things that we've talked about already, what their challenges are, what they're struggling with in their work lives, what they're looking for, all those things. It's really understanding that in really rich detail. And the other side of your content sweet spot is what your business needs are, what kind of what kind of clients do you want to win, what kind of work makes you happy. So in our courses, it's, it tends to be small business owners, smaller people running their own show kind of things. But the approach scales for bigger for bigger B two B businesses. It's just there's more people involved in the decision making. But that kind of mix of what what the customer really cares about and what our business development needs is is the kind of what we teach. The listener to this podcast, more often than not, will be working in, in a B two B context, maybe in quite a a big organisation. Now, from the research we've done, we kind of know that they know that value is important in their um, their content. But where they sometimes struggle is um, selling that concept onto their own stakeholders, onto the product teams and the, the sales teams and people that might want to push another agenda. Um, have you got any advice on how they can sell this approach in their own organisation? So the way I've done that with clients in the past is to get them firstly to think about their own buying experience you know and what's helped them on that journey and how they feel through that process um, and get them to think like a customer um, and also then show case studies uh, you know of other businesses who've done this really well so they can see what's possible and they can see the opportunity and then I think the, one of the most valuable things is and this this goes to the heart of our methodology really is to um, conduct research with the clients of that business and ask them about their world, their challenges, what how they like to be sold to, what they find valuable. And often the light bulbs go off. You know, this is a team approach, really, when you show people the results of that research and you get them to understand, you know, how what it takes to build trust with a client, what people really want. And they'll tell you, if you ask the right questions, they'll tell you how to market to them, you know, and exactly what they need, what content will inspire them. So I think it's like turning that approach you know, that you use with clients and customers inwardly. And there's some people who've done this brilliantly. We had, um, uh, there's a guy called Simon Swan, who was the head of digital transformation at the Met Office. And so he had to bring the Met Office on board with this approach. He was absolutely on board with this valuable content-inspired approach to, you know, getting results for their their organisation. And he set up a digital academy internally and invited meteorologists and senior leaders in the business to learn about, you know, marketing in this digital age. And a trickle came to start off with and then, you know, more and more people got engaged and they felt like it was there. They, they'd, you know, understood it and it was their approach that they were then introducing to other people in the business. So basically they were content marketing. He was, you know, using this content marketing approach internally to get people to then, you know, champion it and use it externally. The client research, the talking, talking to potential clients is always the most valuable stage of of any project, whether whether it's a it's your kind of a what of one man one woman bands just talking to the people that you want to work with and finding out what they're really struggling with, or if it, if you're a larger organisation, if if you that that's always the gold dust is in there. Whether you're kind of using it to kind of help with writing brand story stuff, or using it to work out exactly what kind of content will be helpful, or you're using it to kind of well in any, in any way, that's where that's where the gold is. Just to finish with, I mean, I mean, I'm sure that the listener is 
nodding along <laughs> so violently that, that that their neck is hurting. Um, could you suggest, without wanting you to give away <laughs> all of the good stuff that that, that that they would get from the from the school, but um, could you suggest some maybe practical steps that a, a B2B marketer um, in a reasonably sized organization could take just to kind of make sure that their their content is more valuable? Sharon? Um, I'm thinking that the the one one practical thing that the school does, which is kind of accessible to everybody without doing a big course, we, is uh, our content writing club. I don't know if we've, we've started doing that just because one of the things that's just difficult, it's um, once you've worked out what to write and who, who, what you're, who you're writing for is actually making the time to make it happen. So we've got a little kind of club, co-working club that people can come to at the third Thursday of every month and just write along um, with a group of people, talk about writing, just get really nerdy and get writing done. Um, that's one thing. Um, I think what inspires me is looking for examples of other people doing stuff really well. So looking at websites, looking at people who are doing brilliant, brilliant stuff and just getting excited about it yourself. Um, setting up some client calls if you can, that's always that's always helpful. Um, I don't know, what would your steps be, Sonia? To... I wonder, wondered if, you know, just talking about, we've got um, a valuable content checklist, really, for, for B2B marketers, David. And I think that's really interesting and it'll help you see if your own content is on track, but also help you improve in the future. And it's really simple because I think there's sort of, you know, the tester for valuable content is this and it's, you know, does it meet, does the content that you're thinking about creating meet your goals as a business? Does it further your cause? Do you know why you're creating it? That's the first question. Um, if you can't answer, if there's no answer to that question, it's, it's not going to be valuable to your business. But the other side, which is obviously hugely important is, is it valuable? You know, is it something your clients or your customers absolutely crave? Does it answer a real challenge, a real question for a real person? Mm. And I think a lot of the content that I see that misses the mark doesn't have a reader in mind, like a real person. So one of the tests, the acid test we've got for valuable content is, are you motivated or is somebody in the business motivated to send it on to a real client or prospect to further that conversation, to move that conversation on? If you've got no person at the end in mind it's not going to be valuable and I mean real people because we have seen examples of businesses where you know marketing create all of this content and uh, sales don't even know about it you know and it's not it's just out there and you, you get no eyeballs on it and it furthers the business in no way at all so I think it, those two questions are really important you know the other thing is is it in line with your brand purpose your brand story you know does it fit the story you're looking to tell and the finally is it different from everything you've created before because you get this content bloat situation in a lot of companies where you know you can look at the same thing in different angles that's perfectly fine but you know we've seen repeated content before um, so checking that knowing what, what's been created and making sure it's different from that and takes things further, you know, is the test for it. But I think that real person, real challenge is probably the acid test for valuable content. So, yeah, that does that does that help? That's um, yeah, absolutely brilliant litmus test. I think you know, having a um, a, a real person. Thank you so much. Um, anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about that we can we can slot in? I think that you know what Sharon said. You know, was saying in that about finding the time to write. Again, in any context, whether you're a one-person band or a, you know, in a bigger business, is 
is the critical thing because, you know, you know as well, especially now in COVID times, I think finding that time for that deep focus, that deep work is is really hard. And, you know, they're hiring you as a content agency to help them, mm-hmm. but they need to put some effort into helping you think this through. And so, you know, some sort of collaborative way of getting people to focus on this stuff, you know, and appreciate how important mm-hmm. it is. And I think the only thing that I would add about when when... I think the litmus test of the having a real person that you'll send it to is spot on. But also when you're writing it, to have that real person in mind, to have that because that just makes your writing warmer and more engaging. Um, and the, th- the kind of there's the sort of a, a, I know your people listening to this won't think this, but I think people outside the world, but the kind of the, the B2B, it, it's still person to person. It's still one person writing to another person, um, and one person we're reading it. Businesses don't read things, people do. So making your writing click with a real person is 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 kind of the key to getting content that people will engage with. Yeah. And I think it changes businesses as well. So I mean, you know, going large on this, you know, if if businesses are putting out this valuable content, it makes them better businesses. And it, you know, I always think of HSBC, we had used to give out these valuable content awards and HSBC, the expat division, were winners of those awards. They had this amazing content hub um, called Expat Explorer. And the, 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 the question that guided all their content was, what does somebody moving abroad need to know? It was that simple, you know, and, um, which I think is brilliant. But, you know, through creating all these content, these guides and this research into, you know, what the expat community wanted to know, um, they created content that helped their people, you know, working in banks, advising these people to understand their customers better and uh, get what they wanted and therefore become, you know, better service providers for those customers. So, it, yeah, valuable content makes for better businesses, I think. Yeah, it just not, it's not just marketing, it goes deeper than that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that putting the customer at the, the heart of, of what you do and solving for their solving for their problems. And we all, yeah. we yeah. all talk about customer-focused business, but it's hard to implement that. But we can do that through working on people's content. You know, we can help change hearts and minds internally. And that's, you know, that's huge because people can then see, oh, I see, this is what we need to do to serve our customers better, you know, to become a better, more customer-focused business. It's like a sort of Trojan horse into, into customer focus, if you like, um, and a really practical one, which is why I love it. It's um, concrete steps people can make. If the um, listener wants to get in touch with you or with the, the School of Valuable Content, what would be the, the best way for them to do that? We've got a website now, amazingly, with um, which is uh, valuablecontentschool.co.uk. And uh, you can find us pretty much all over the place, as you probably expect. So do come and find us on, uh, we've got uh, valuable content on Instagram, which we love. And um, LinkedIn, definitely either me or Sharon and Twitter as well. So uh, do come and talk to us. We'd love to hear more and love to hear, you know, the challenges that people are facing and see if there's anything we can do to help. Thank you, Sharon. And thank you, Sonia. It's so good to have valuable content back on the podcast. John, there's a lot to chew over there. Um, what stood out for you? Uh, well, I, I liked what Sonia said about, you know, the fact that she used to work in sales mm. and people were really tuned to spot that hard sell coming. And I think that's, it's even more the case these days, especially during pandemic land. The last thing we want to get is a sales message. Uh, and yet she says, and I, I totally agree with this, that if you give away your information, your ideas as generously as you can 
that's actually what gets people's attention. So, you know, valuable content is, is actually being as helpful as you can to the other person. That's what builds trust. And, and, and actually, ultimately, that's what does business for you. And, and that's exactly the approach I take in my business. So I really like what Sonia said about that. And yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, your whole, um, you know, positioning, um, you know, when everybody got to to hear about you, it was, you know, about being relentlessly helpful. So, And that's presumably is an approach that's worked pretty well for you. It is. And that that tagline came about by pure chance. It was it came up. It happened at a conference when I was being asked an unscripted question, you know, that the, the person asked me, how are you going to remain relevant? And I, without thinking, I said, well, I'm going to create relentlessly helpful content. And that stuck with me and people started saying it back to me when I started using it. And I thought, I'm onto something here. Mm. But then I thought, well, it's a, it's a nice phrase, but how am I going to speak truth to this thing? Because Because mm. anyone... Within reason, anyone can come up with a nice sounding phrase, mm. but if it does, you can't back it up. It doesn't mean anything. And so, how, how am I going to back this up? And 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 what else am I going to be known for? So, I did some thinking about brand values and and defining what I call the shape of my business. And I thought, well, I've got to, I've got to be truthful to these promises that I'm making in public. If I say that I'm relentlessly helpful. I better be that. Otherwise someone's Mm. going to call me out for being a fraud. And I've got to be that in every touch point, in every place. I've got to be the same shape everywhere. And this long-term idea, because I wanted to become a biochemist back in the day, this idea of DNA being the same shape, being, you know, an identical replica of itself all the time. I thought that's what I need to be. I need to be someone who turns up and is known for one thing and relentlessly helpful is the real core of that. Um, and um, it's it's just really the basics of content marketing is is dis, you know deciding who your audience is going to be, what you want to serve them with, and then just turning up time and time again until you are too good to ignore, and and people remember you. And somewhere down the line, that leads to business. It's, this is not a short term, you know, get rich quick attempt of. You know, you're not going to write six blogs and suddenly be a millionaire. It doesn't work like that. Um, you have to turn up time and time again, and eventually people will see, yeah, that's that's that guy giving away all that free advice about so-and-so topic. I mean, for me, it happens to be LinkedIn, but actually it could be anything. Mm. Who am I going to go to when I actually need help with that thing professionally? Well, probably that guy as opposed to some other bloke who's selling ads at me or someone else where I've got no evidence of their actual interest or enthusiasm or expertise for the topic. So so that's really the approach. It's just a long-term thing. And you've got to trust that giving away your stuff for free will come back to you uh, in good ways. And I think the, the internet really enables that. And from your point of view, I mean, it is coming back to you. I think what a lot of people are you know, are scared about or were scared about at the start of kind of content marketing, I guess, is if you're giving away all of your stuff for free, what's left? <laughs> you know, people ask you about something rather than just wait until you tell them for free. How do you get from that, yeah. you know, that reputation for being really, really helpful to the point where you say to someone, I've kind of got to charge you for this? Yeah. 
Well, f- first of all, you've got to got to remember that information is one thing, implementation is another thing. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And and what the internet enables everyone to do, the democratization of knowledge, means that anyone can pull put out information. And if you don't get it from me you will be able to get it from someone else. Mm-hmm. And when the time comes to make a buying decision, who are you going to trust? It's the Ghostbusters question. <laughs> who are you going to trust? <laughs> who are you going right? to call? Exactly. So, so, so there's that. But, you know, whatever content you put out has to be, in some senses, generic. It, it can't be, oh, but my company's been going seven years and we've got this many employees and these. this is our client portfolio. Now what do I do? Well, no content's going to be that level of specific. So actually, if you want to come to me for specific advice about how to tailor your setup, given those initial conditions, that means a consultation. That means I've got to charge you. That means some separate thinking time about your project that's not something I can do for free. So if it's something that I'm broadcasting to everyone, that's free and always will be. If it's something that's going to be specific to your business, that's consultation territory. That's something I have to charge you for. It's good to be really clear about that because I guess with the thing about being relentlessly helpful, you must get a lot of people saying, can I just pick your brain? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've got, in fact, I'm looking at it right now. I've got a post it note on my Mac in front of me. I've got three post-it notes, and the last of those says, serve the good hearts and minds first. You are not a doormat. Because there, there is a, a thin line between claiming to be relentlessly helpful mm. and just doing other people's homework for them, yeah, yeah. right? And, and you can't be a doormat, otherwise you're, never gonna, you, you're not going to have your head over water. You are just going to drown in all of the people trying to take stuff from you. Mm. Um, So to the end of where people are saying, can I just pick your brain? I created a page on my website that says, yeah, here you go. You can book a 20-minute session with me or you can book a 60-minute session for me. Here are the prices. Mm. And this is the kind of stuff that people tend to ask me about. And I originally created that to get rid of time wasters. Mm. That was my only purpose. And then what I found was it did get rid of the time wasters, but also people who valued my advice actually booked in. And so I'm starting to get more of those consultation bookings. If it's something that I can answer really quickly and really easily, I tend to try and make an effort to help people at the point of you know contact if I can. If someone asks, sends me a LinkedIn DM with a simple question and I've already written a blog about it, well, I can connect the dots and we're, we're all done in 30 seconds. If it's something that's going to need a bit more considered thought, I'll say, I'd love to speak to you. Here's my, here's my booking page. And if that, if people bulk at that, then probably they're not going to pay attention enough to the answer I would have given them anyway, I think, or they just wanted it for free, in which Mm. case my time is limited. And and so, you know, on on your way, I'm afraid. Just thinking about, um, valuable content and what it takes to be you know yeah valuable content lowercase um but you know and, and what it t- takes to have value for the reader i mean obviously it needs to be helpful but there's there kind of other things to it do you think it's not just here is information right i think it comes from understanding who it is that you're trying to serve and it is kind of the same as what sonia's already said you know if you're mm. creating content um, and I'm sure Sharon said it as well. If you're creating content and you understand who's going to be reading this, what mental state are they going to be in? You know, what problem mm-hmm. is it that they're re- you're really trying to sort? 
and say it the way you would on your best day. <laughs> but <laughs> imagine that it's a person-to-person conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that, I think, you know, I think that, that, that means that if you can have the ideal reader in mind when you write for them, and I've got a couple of ideal reader profiles. I call them pen portraits in my book. Mm. So I've got a Tony and I've got a Tina, and I know what their problems are, and I know what kind of answers they're searching for. And I know what kind of people they're answerable to, you know, whether it's a big board or whether it's, a, you know, an individual business. I kind of know what they're struggling with and I can create content that answers those questions. And, and often when I advise people, because a lot of clients come to me and say, I don't know what to write about. It's the biggest stumbling block. Mm. And I'll say to them, well, if you've been in business for any length of time, you've probably used email and you've probably communicated with existing and prospective customers, many of whom will have had lots of questions that you will have answered without even thinking about it. You'll have, mm-hmm. You've got an inbox and sent items folder that is packed with content, content ideas. Go and interrogate that content and see what people are actually asking you because that's what they want to know about. They're telling you. And then anonymize and generalize that content and answer it at scale. And there you go. That's your first tranche of content where you're answering real questions from real people and that will definitely get the ball rolling for you rather than thinking you know more generally out of the box kind of stuff actually answer specific stuff and then the the value of doing that is that in the future someone else who comes along who doesn't who's never heard of you has that exact same question and they see that you've already answered it Mm. they'll go he probably does this all day look at that he's already answered that oh and that and that and the other <laughs> that 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 blue peter approach where here's one i prepared earlier that really sets the other person's mind at ease doesn't it because they'll go oh, you know he, he knows it he's done it he's yeah. been there even if you've only ever answered it once but you've answered it in public that 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 builds a lot of authority and also for those people who are asking the original questions when they see their question that was asked one to one turned into public content they'll feel empowered and go, wow, that person actually listened to me. Imagine that, a business who listens to its customers and then acts. You don't get that every day. So mm. it's so powerful to, to take that approach to create that. That's valuable, mm. answering real questions. One of the things, you mentioned the um, pen portraits. And one of the things in, in the book that I love is that you have like a poison pen portrait is it cool you basically yeah, the you poison have a portrait you have a you yeah. have a a, a a profile of the person that you don't want to work with or you yes. don't want to write for yeah it's the antimatter version yeah <laughs> it's it's because you know as much as as good as it is to try and target the people you want to influence one of the biggest blockers is just headaches you know the customers you can't stand and you dread when you see their number coming up coming up on on the speed dial and you're like, oh, him again. You want to avoid those people. So so you want to get good customers. You want to avoid bad customers. Those headaches mm. can really drag you down and sap your energy. So it's about maximizing the good. So you need a pen portrait for that, I would argue. It's also minimizing the bad. And so if you know who your enemy is, if you if you want to use such strong terms as that, you can look for the signs to avoid. So is it someone who's going to be mailing you on Friday night asking you for stuff? You know, that's the kind of, any signals of that kind of thing you want to avoid. I, I characterize my, my, my poison portrait as the salesy douche canoe, you know, this <laughs> over-entitled, over-tanned, over-Rolexed person 
who who just thinks that their opinion is is the way forward and forget the fact that you know I've I've been doing vowels and consonants for a long time they know better mm-hmm. right that's the kind of person I'm always going to try and sidestep if I can and I won't refer them either you know because I don't want to you know it's like a hospital pass for for a fellow copywriter I'm not going to do that to them um, so so being mindful of what you want to avoid is arguably as important as who you want to attract. So this idea of marketing as a magnet, you know, it's got a positive and a negative. You've got to attract and repel at the same time different audiences so that you can get the right balance. Because your content is not just about bringing value for the reader. I mean, it's got to bring value for you as a business. And part of that is attracting the right the right customer. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in, in the book, you were kind of talking about some other things that, you know, that, that content needs as well as being helpful if it's going to deliver value for you and help you to build a brand. One of those things is, is the chair model that I came up with for, for, for creating content that, that tends to work well on social media, particularly on LinkedIn. Um, so, so the chair model, chair is an acronym for challenging, helpful amusing, interesting, and relevant. And those are five top-level things where if your content can fall into one or more of those buckets, it tends to get good engagement, and that's what leads to good visibility. And chances are, if you do that for long enough, a proportion of the people who see that content will go, yeah, that's our guy, right? So so challenging content is great because uh, it tends to divide opinion. That's what gets people to to comment, and that's what accelerates visibility. Helpful, we've already talked about. And then amusing content tends to get lots of shares and likes. And interesting and relevant content is important as well. Interesting shows that you've got, um, you know, it's the stuff that keeps people engaged, and it shows that you've got domain experience. And relevancy is important because the last thing you want to do, again, uh, uh, there's a lot of focus about got to get more followers while forgetting you've got to keep the followers you've got you don't want people to unfollow you because basically you they're lost to you once that happens so if you can try and stay within that framework that tends to get um you know the i would say the best visibility on on social platforms and therefore more people will will buy into your message yeah i wanted to broaden this conversation out a little bit so um I uh, asked a question on uh, on social media across uh, Twitter and LinkedIn, and I asked people, okay, well, what stops them and what tips they have to make sure that their content is actually packed with value? Um, Fiona Campbell-Howes, previously of, of this very podcast, uh, got in touch to say nine times out of ten, the things that stops valuable content is no thought given to who the reader actually is, um, which is... Shocking, shockingly true, um, I think. Um, I asked her a bit more about that, and she said, I'd say it's marketers who haven't thought about who the reader is and therefore aren't in the mindset to think about what the reader might find valuable. I, I kind of, I, I feel that. We kind of get asked that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how, how often do marketers actually sit down and speak to real customers? How much, mm. how much of their time is actually spent just... If, looking at an Excel spreadsheet or some other dashboard instead of talking to a real person and, and getting some real thoughts from them. And, um, mm. and also one of, one of my bugbears as well is that people, they hear so much about the value of storytelling 
right? And and I agree that storytelling done well is really, really powerful. But storytelling done badly is terrible. Yeah. And it just gets in the way. I mean, my style in the book is get to the point, mm. right? If you can't tell a good story, just, just, just why not lead with the conclusion and then maybe fill in the gaps afterwards and that's great. But don't, don't, don't give me 11 paragraphs of story that leads to some, some conclusion at the end. Get to the point, save me my time. I'll value you a lot more if you just respect my time. Yeah, funny enough, I, had, I did have somebody contact me anonymously on social media uh, to say that they'd got uh, feedback from a, a stakeholder. You know, like what, a late entry stakeholder in a state. Everything's going well. And then a stakeholder with comments emerges from the, from the undergrowth, just as you're about to get sign off. And they said that the piece that they'd written, uh, which was supposed to be a how to guide for decision makers, that the piece that they'd written was, and I quote, too practical, <laughs> and, and 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 needed to be more story based. <laughs> it's like here, yeah, your content right. is, is too valuable. Please diminish its value. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, this has too much utility. Uh, let let's let's uh, hamstring it somehow. No, that that doesn't make any sense at all. Oh, it's uh, shocking. I, I did also ask people for their uh, for their tips on how to make sure content uh, is packed with value. Um, Scott Stockwell uh, from IBM said that value is in the wallet of the beholder, uh, not the author, much as they might imagine. Uh, so being the most pertinent answer to the reader's most pressing question is usually a great start point. Um, which yeah, I, I, I love I, that. I, I, like, I like that. I mean, um, Marcus Sheridan, who's one of the fathers of content marketing, will mm. say, you know, try and be the Wikipedia of your industry. And I, and I like that too. You know, if you're the person who can deliver the answers and not deliver a load of fluff and irrelevant stuff around it, people know who to come to when, when, they're, when they're stuck. And I really like this one from Maureen Blandford, um, who said uh, her tip was to confer with sales on what they're saying that gets the most people leaning in and then emulate that upstream. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. I mean, the, the salespeople, the frontline people who talk to customers, they're the goldmine, really. I mean, I used to work at a call center and, and the frontline staff there were consistently ignored, even though they were the people spending the most time speaking to the customer and understanding this is a frustration. This is something they like. Maybe if you could do a bit less of that and a bit more of this, they'd be happier. Mm. And, 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 and salespeople, you know, are of that ilk as well. They speak to the customer. So the things that work for them should be permeated throughout the business and say this we know this works we've got we've got we're at the cold face mm. let's just do more of that shall we but but often it doesn't it doesn't things don't align and and marketing comes up with a great idea that doesn't talk to sales and and you know it all goes pear-shaped and it gives the light the idea that um the content that is helpful that is valuable does not lead to sales you know if it's something that it that is replicating what salespeople are doing when they're being when they're being helpful. And sometimes the most helpful thing you can do for someone is to sell them something if they're at the mo- if they're at that part of their their journey, right? I mean, Joe Ippolito was saying um, on um, the Twitter, he was saying, you know, that if you create too much content, it can be you can create an environment where it's difficult to find the signal uh, among the noise. And and I kind of agree that. 
sometimes, you know, once people have found the stuff and made up their mind, you kind of, at that point, helping them through the sales process is, is a helpful thing to do and is a valuable thing to do as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the more you can instruct them before they ever need to pick up the phone, because the, the ideal situation is you've explained everything from, from the problem they're having all the way through to, and this is actually how we can help you, such that they're so educated, they might even know your business model better than the individuals within your organization do, because they've done so much research on you mm. that the phone call ends up being, where do I sign? And that's it. There is no sales process because they're already <laughs> self-educated. That's brilliant, isn't it? That's what you want. Yeah. You don't want to have to convince them. You don't have to do most of your convincing after they've picked up the phone or the, the proverbial phone, you know, used your live chat or emailed you, you want as much of that stuff front loaded as possible. <clears throat> and content is, is your means to doing that. Okay. Before we finish this episode, it's time for our copywriting tip of the month. And this time it's from Radix consultant writer, Steve George. Copywriting tip of the month! Hi, this is Steve, consultant writer at Radix, and my top copywriting tip is to work with the same proofreader or reviewer across as much of your work as possible. It can be really difficult to spot even the most obvious mistakes in your own work, and identifying patterns across pieces is even harder. If you spend a lot of time writing about the same subjects especially, you can easily fall into familiar habits, whether it's overusing particular words, phrases, or even grammar. A consistent reviewer will be able to help you spot those patterns and help you tell the difference between stylistic hallmarks and crutches so you can keep improving your work and keep it fresh over time. Copywriting tip of the month! Thanks, Steve. That's a really interesting point. And I've got to be honest, it's not something that I'd thought of before. Yeah, I like that idea. It uh, enforces consistency to use the same proofreader. Uh, throughout the process. My my tip, if I were to give one, would be to try changing the properties of the document that you're working on to make your writing look fresh. So we're all used to using Microsoft Word, white background, black text. We know the score. If you're in proofreading mode, you could have your own Word template that sets the background to green and the writing to white and a totally different typeface and different line spacing. All of a sudden, your text looks like a different animal and you're more likely to spot things that you wouldn't have in the original document. And I think that's a much better digital alternative to printing things out and then looking for mistakes you don't kill as many trees that way yeah i've got i was always traditionally a big killer of trees when it came to uh a tree tree serial killer when it came to checking my own work but obviously you know this last year 18 months i've been nowhere with a printer so uh i've had to find other ways and 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 i think um, the read aloud feature in in word is um has been super helpful for me just to kind of you know do that word by word focus on what's happening Well, I'm afraid we really are out of time for uh, this episode. John, thank you for being a uh, wonderful co-host. I I do hope you've enjoyed it. I have indeed. It's been fantastic. (laughs) It goes by really quickly, doesn't it? Um, Before we uh, release it, could I just ask if the listener wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that or to get a copy of your book? Yeah, well, I'm blessed with a very unusual surname. So anyone who looks up my surname, Esperian, on the interwebs 
We'll find my website and we'll find my LinkedIn profile. Those are the best two ways of finding out more about me. And there's details about my book, including six free audio chapters uh, on my website. Oh, that's uh, that's cool. I'm sure that we will we'll put a link to that in the, the show notes uh, as as well. Uh, thanks for that. Would you mind thanking out our guests in, in turn and our contributors and also reminding the listener when they can get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks to Sonia and Sharon from the School of Valuable Content. Thanks to the social media contributors and Steve for that interesting copywriting tip. Thanks to you, listener, for your company. And yes, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can do that on email. Podcast at radix-communications.com Or on Twitter. At radixcom. That's R-A-D-I-X-C-O-M. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, of course, a review would be appreciated. Thank you again. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, remember, at the end of the day, people will forget what you said or did. But they will remember that time you made them fill out a long and complicated form to download an ebook that turned out to be trash. Bye. Bye, everyone.